I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. The talk, of course, is all about another indictment. After Donald Trump revealed on Truth Social that he got a letter from the DOJ, a Target letter, says the notice arrived Sunday night. This from Special Counsel Jack Smith, who's investigating Donald Trump's actions uh, to not only deal with the matters of January 6th, but his attempts to overturn the 2020 election. Now, this is separate from the classified documents case. This is the other one we've been waiting for. The letter says that he is the target of the grand jury investigating election-related actions and says he was given, quote, a very short four days to report to the grand jury, unquote, remembering that Donald Trump has been... Donald Trump's biggest leaker on all of the legal actions that we've been privy to so far. We've heard about all of them from Trump first. And reaction has been flowing in here because everyone seems to be taking this seriously. Most Republicans coming to his defense. The Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Well, I guess uh, under a Biden administration, Biden America, you'd expect this. If you notice recently, President Trump went up in the polls and was uh, actually surpassing President Biden for re-election. So what do they do now? Weaponize government to go after their number one opponent. It's time and time again. I think the American public is tired of this. They want to have see equal justice. And the idea that they utilize this to go after those who politically disagree with them is wrong. Well, we should note that, of course, this investigation has been going on for many more uh, months than the recent surge in the polls that Donald Trump has been enjoying on the campaign trail. But we're glad to have a moment with Michael Zeldin following these headlines breaking. The former federal prosecutor, former special counsel to Robert Mueller while at the DOJ is with us now live on Bloomberg Radio. Uh, Michael, thank you for joining. Is Donald Trump right this unfolds in the next four days? Well, no one knows for sure, but target letters are usually 11th hour letters and he was given the opportunity according to the reporting in this letter to to testify before the grand jury which i'm sure he's going to decline almost all prospective defendants decline and then jack smith will have to make his final decision the interesting question will be on what charges will a second indictment lie because there are a lot of different threads to this story that we just don't know which one he's going to pick up Assuming the January 6th committee gave us a bit of a roadmap, is, does, does that begin with obstruction? Well, it didn't, in my view, have an obstruction component to it. But the more sort of telling or easily told story is the fake electors conspiracy to defraud the United States scheme. Because there it seems that you have a lot of people who have testified before the grand jury over many, many months who have said, essentially, except for Jared Kushner, that the president knew he lost, yet he embarked on this scheme to defraud the American people by promoting false electors to 
allow Pence the opportunity to decertify the original electors and send Mm -hmm. this back to the states. That, I think, is the most easily understood component of this January 6th investigation, and that's where I think if I were Smith, I might start with. But Smith knows his evidence way better than anybody else, of course. So seizing voting machines, the the fake slate of electors, the pressure campaign against Mike Pence, and sort of the Rudy Giuliani component of the Stop the Steal movement is what you're saying. That's right. That that bundle of activity, you know, which is all is the actioning of the big lie theory, yeah. is what I think is most easily understood by the American people as criminal, that you really just can't put forth false electors who claim to be real, who are lying on government forms at your behest, and have that not be considered a criminal act. How about the events of January 6th? That would be a completely different component. And I suspect that the charges don't have to reflect everything that the special counsel was investigating, right? Exactly. Nor does it have to be the last of the indictments. The fact that there is a prospective indictment doesn't mean this is the last indictment. There could be other uh, follow-on indictments. But it would seem to me that there is the you know avenues of conspiracy to interfere with the election that we've just talked about, mm-hmm. the obstruction of the investigation, similar to the Mar-a-Lago documents case, and then a conspiracy to commit some sort of insurrection. I, I think that's a much harder case to bring because you have to create a link between Trump and the insurrectionists, or perhaps Steve Bannon and Roger Stone, if they were the link to the insurrectionists. And in the public reporting, I just haven't seen yet uh, a solid line uh, making that connection. It seems dotted. It seems that they were communicating, but not necessarily enough to say this is a conspiracy to commit insurrection, like we saw with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Well, that's really important analysis here, uh, because a lot of folks think of this as the so-called January 6th investigation. Uh, It's entirely likely that, in your view, that will not be included in the charges. It's, I think, the hardest case to bring. It's the most politically fraught case to bring. And as prosecutors, we used to say, all we need to do is hit singles and doubles. We don't need to hit Grand Slam home runs in the bottom of the ninth in the seventh game of the World Series. We get what we need with a single and a double conviction. And so why um, Jack Smith would undertake that would be, uh, you know, a bit of a surprise to me. Because remember, too, that Jack Smith has an obligation under the regulations that govern his actions to write a final report. So he can write up in a final report all of the stuff that we're talking about without having to go through the trouble of indicting it and proving it beyond a reasonable doubt. So he might say, I'm going to indict that which is most easily provable, which is most readily understandable by the American public, which is the least politically fraught. And then I'll make a detailed report, sort of like mm-hmm. January 6th report part two, and lay out everything that I've learned through the grand jury. Leave a trail of crumbs, maybe. Michael Zeldin, uh It was reported that Donald Trump was, and I think still is, 
having trouble assembling a big enough legal team to handle the challenges already posed against him. Does he have to start from scratch here now? This is going to be a whole separate set of lawyers. How does he do that? How much does that cost? Well, it costs a lot, uh, millions of dollars, to have a, a good criminal defense lawyer defend you on charges of this sort. And yes, it would seem to me that the lawyers who are handling the Mar-a-Lago documents case would not have the bandwidth to also handle this case. And that would mean two separate sets of lawyers. Actually, he really should have four sets of lawyers, Georgia lawyers, if there's an indictment, the New York Allen Bragg case, if there's a uh, group that will take just that case, the Mar-a-Lago, and then this prospective <laughs> case. You really can't do as a lawyer justice to all these four cases at the same time. It's just stunning to think about this. You could add Fulton County, which I don't We Gosh, the, the last I heard, we were expecting that to come out in August. Uh, I mean, talk about spinning multiple plates at the same time. And he's going to be running for president. I, Michael, how, do, how does that happen? Is, how is it possible? I don't know. He has, if you just make a, a spreadsheet, we've got New York is indicted. Mar-a-Lago is indicted. We have the prospect of an indictment uh, in this January 6th case. We've got the prospect of an indictment in uh, Georgia. We know we've got a lawsuit with Letitia James, a civil lawsuit in New York. And we know we've got the E. Jean Carroll part two of the defamation case. We've got these all at the same time while trying to run for president. It's just not humanly possible that you can do all of those things unless he decides to be a disinterested participant in his criminal or civil defenses. Yeah, right. And that's you know that's up to him. Look, he decided to run to pre- for president. He knew that these things were uh, in the offing. Some will say cynically, the only reason he ran for president is that, as his spokesman said in the setup before we joined this conversation, that, oh, this is just to punish him politically. Some will say the reason he's running is so that he can have that argument, because if he wasn't running, then he has no argument other than I uh, didn't do it. Um, which is something you do in the courtroom. So, I don't know how he I don't know how he does this, but it's got to be nerve wracking. Spending time with former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, what did you make of Speaker McCarthy's uh, comment that this is the weaponization of government, the weaponization of justice, because Donald Trump is doing well in the polls? I just think that that's uh, a false argument. These investigations started long before. Uh, Donald Trump decided that he was going to run for president. They continue at the same sort of pace, uh, notwithstanding his desire to run for president. And the fact that he's running for president, if anything, puts pressure on the DOJ to try to wrap up these cases for indictment and trial earlier than they might want to do. So I don't think there's any advantage to the prosecution that he's running for president, perhaps a disadvantage. And I don't think the decision to investigate has anything to do with him rising or falling in the polls. I think it's just a false argument. Well, I'll tell you what, we've you and I have had conversations on some pretty remarkable days. Uh, maybe we'll do this again when we get some official news. Uh, we appreciate the perspective, as always. Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor and former special counsel to Robert Mueller while at the DOJ. You may have your opinions about Robert Mueller uh, politically. I know that might light up some people, but Michael has been a terribly reliable voice for us through this this whole thing. He's been there. 
And great to hear from somebody who understands really what we're talking about, not unlike our panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors, are back with us today and uh, just dying to get your reaction here. Jeannie, I'm going to start with you in this case because you had an important column out this week that talked about the impact or lack thereof of additional indictments against Donald Trump. And obviously, you guys are our political panelists, not legal analysts. Is this actually going to help him in the near term? Yeah, you know, and and, and I'm so glad you said that because it it is not going to help him, certainly in the court of law. That is entirely separate from what I'm talking about. But when it comes to public opinion, when it comes to persuasion, one of the things we know as social scientists is that less is always more when you're trying to persuade people of something. So we think of this notion of averaging or dilution effect, that when I give you tons of information about something, you average it together. Mm -hmm. So if we get a lot of information about Donald Trump, some of it less important important than others. The research shows that I've been doing that people average that out and they see the charges then as less serious. And so that averaging effect is the idea that this kind of huge amount, as you say, just, you know, you were talking to Michael Zeldin, just absurd amount of indictments, another indictment after another, actually, to a certain extent, ends up helping Donald Trump in the end when it comes to people making a decision about the seriousness of any one of these charges, again, in the court of public opinion, not in the court of law where they're going to have a jury and those people will have very specific charges to hear. And so that, you know, in part explains why this hasn't hurt him in the court of public opinion. In fact, it seems to have helped him. It's incredible stuff. Uh, This could end up being another historic moment. It appears to be Rick Davis, the president, former president, writes, quote, a very short four days to report to the grand jury almost always means an arrest and indictment. Uh, Has he gained credibility in your eyes, at least when it comes to leaking his own legal actions? Uh, sometimes, sometimes not. I mean, uh, some of the early uh, New York indictments, he, he's kind of got the whole process wrong. So, uh, you know, look, I mean, this is just who he is as an individual, right? Forget mm-hmm. even as a presidential campaign candidate. He's been fighting legal challenges um, his entire life almost and and certainly his entire professional life. And, and, and he is an aggressive uh, counterattacker, right? He doesn't he doesn't dodge. He he counterattacks. And this is totally consistent with the Donald Trump everybody in the construction business in New York knows and and that we've learned about before uh so so it's in keeping with his profile whether it actually pays off politically for him or not uh, I don't know right I mean like it is unprecedented uh what we're witnessing uh in this presidential election and 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 nobody can actually guess right because we just don't know what these outcomes are. Those people who said the early indictments would hurt him yeah. were wrong. Um, no telling what will happen from this point on. We certainly know what he thinks about Jack Smith. Jack, you know you're, you're, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, we know. Jack Smith. Jack Smith. What do you think his name used to be? I don't know. Does oh. anybody have it? Jack Smith. Sounds so innocent. He's deranged. We'll have more with Rick and Jeannie next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma, is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth. 
and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Donald Trump gets a letter, as we've been telling you. Important breaking news today says he's the target of a Department of Justice January 6th probe and in a very short four days will report to the grand jury. This is the special counsel, Jack Smith, and the second investigation, the one after the classified documents as we reassemble our panel with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors, and a lot of reaction coming in. If you were with us earlier, you heard from Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, in what's probably the the most full-throated support that Donald Trump has heard today in Washington. Well, I guess uh, under a Biden administration, Biden America, you'd expect this. If you noticed recently, President Trump went up in the polls and was uh, actually surpassing President Biden for re-election. So what do they do now? Weaponize government. Weaponize government. Number one opponent. Let's see how the panel feels about that. Rick Davis, we remember Kevin McCarthy uh, in the wake of January 6th. Remember the phone call that was recorded? He was talking to Liz Cheney that day, talking about how he would make a call down to Mar-a-Lago and tell Donald Trump that he recommended that he resign. This is what it sounded like. I do not want to get into any conversation about him pardoning. I mean, the only discussion I would have with him is that I think this will pass, and it would be my recommendation we should resign. He should resign. He hasn't endorsed him in the presidential campaign, Rick, but it doesn't seem there's much that Donald Trump can do uh, that Kevin McCarthy doesn't agree with. Actually, I think the advice to resign would have been good. He probably would not be getting indicted potentially by the by the Department of Justice in the next week. Uh, Look, I mean, you know, he's been all over the map, the speaker. Uh, You know, he condemned Trump's behavior on January 6th publicly and and then went down to Mar-a-Lago and forgave him or forgot. Uh, It's kind of hard to tell which. Uh, But look, we've talked about this a lot on the show, especially related to important legislation. Uh, He's a bit of a captive of the MAGA crowd now. Uh, He's speaker, but he's only speaker as long as they want him to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it's not a surprise to me that he, you know, ape the same comments, you know, by uh, the Freedom Caucus and others that, you know, in fact, this is just a weaponization of an administration. Uh, uh, and, and, And I guess he's forgotten about all the efforts that Donald Trump use the Justice Department for to, you know, weaponize it uh, against his political <laughs> enemies. So uh, maybe he's right. Maybe we just got to find a way to get the Justice Department uh, more confidence in the public eye uh, so that they're not seen as uh, political arbiters. Reaction coming in uh, as well from the campaign trail of those running against Donald Trump. No one's really outwardly condemning this. Listen to Ron DeSantis from earlier today. I think it was shown how he was in the White House and didn't do anything while while things were going on. Uh, he should have come out more forcefully. Of, of course that. But to try to criminalize that, that's a, diff- that's a different issue entirely. And I think that we, we want to be in a situation where, you know, you don't have one side just constantly trying to put the other side in jail. And, and that, unfortunately, is, is uh, what we're seeing. 
Which is actually, you know, one side talking about putting the other side in jail is something that we've actually grown quite familiar with over the last couple of years. I tend to hear this most Trump rallies. Uh, Jeannie, uh, is that going to be the new line? Ron DeSantis just carved it out there. Donald Trump should have been more forceful, as he said on January 6th, i.e. asking people to leave the Capitol. But this indictment would be a bridge too far. Yeah, and I think this explains why Trump is running, what, now 34 points ahead of Ron DeSantis because the way to the election is going to be through Donald Trump, and Ron DeSantis doesn't seem to have figured that out. So he has these tepid responses. You know, oh, he was sitting in the White House. He should have come out more forcefully. But, and anything before a but is a lie, let's not criminalize. (laughs) Let's not weaponize this. Let's, you know, let's just take a hands-off approach. I mean, I think it's important to remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about the first attempt in American history that we know of to disrupt a peaceful transfer of power. That goes to the foundation of what we are. And Ron DeSantis and Kevin McCarthy, for all the reasons Rick and you just talked about, are trying to sort of back, you know, backpedal on this. And you've got Nikki Haley, a slightly more full-throated response talking about Mm -hmm. drama. Um, You know, that seems to be a new buzzword to your point. But, you know, they're going to have to realize that they are running against Donald Trump at this point. They are, you know, obviously very frightened about this base and they are scared to say anything more full throated about it. But what they're going to end up doing is handing this primary over to Donald Trump if they keep it up. Everything before but is a lie. Did your mom say that or did you say that to your kids? Well, you know, I wish I I wish I made that up. I have a dear friend who taught me that and and, and a mentor. I love and that I stuck line. with it. It's very true. Um, I love right. Wow, I'm going to have to think about that. Be careful when you say but, Oh, Joe God, Matthews. yeah, I have to, I'm changing everything now. All right, we just in, in just a few minutes' time, we're going to be joining Shanali Basik and her important conversation with the CEO of Morgan Stanley. But you mentioned Nikki Haley. She did react to this. A little bit differently. We have different shades of reaction as usual here earlier today on Fox. Listen, I mean, the rest of this primary election is going to be in reference to Trump is going to be about lawsuits. It's going to be about legal fees. It's going to be about judges. And it's just going to continue to be a further and further um, distraction. And that's why I am running is because we need a new generational leader. We can't keep dealing with this drama. We can't keep dealing with the negativity. We can't keep dealing with all of this. Rick Davis, will we hear more of that on the campaign trail? Is that closer to the mark? Yeah, I think she's actually echoing something that Chris Christie's been talking about, which is, you know, this idea that this distraction actually loses us elections, right? And and so she didn't make the final push that says this is a losing strategy, but she's right on the edge. And, and I do think that is one of the more persuasive uh, arguments to Republican primary voters, which is, hey, we just want to win. And if this baggage of... Uh, recycling the 2020 election continues to uh, keep our focus away from winning, then then we need someone who isn't going to be hung up in that. And I'm actually surprised all the candidates aren't uh, talking about that because it comes across loud and clear, even with Trump supporters, is as much as they like him, they want to win the next election. They don't want Joe Biden to be president. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they want someone who can actually clearly uh, give them a victory. This would be pretty remarkable stuff, uh, Jeannie. We talked about it with Michael Zeldin earlier in the hour Uh, The idea of Donald Trump carrying four indictments, also funding four separate legal teams, maybe more, because, you know, you can add uh, the other case to this as well that doesn't involve uh, the election or the classified documents. Uh, I mean, is is his campaign going to have to pay for this whole thing? 
I, I, I am sure of one thing. He will not pay for it out of his pocket. So I suspect that's what's going to happen. I think we also, you know, you know, obviously Michael Zeldin is right. He should have separate attorneys in all these cases to manage all this. It's going to be incredibly expensive to your point. But let's not forget, the more they want to drag this out, have Matt Blanche, have one attorney say he's handling all of them. He oh. is one person. He can't be in four, five, six places at once at this point. Yeah. That means they have to keep pushing this back because as somebody in our criminal process at this point, Trump has a right to have whoever he wants defend him. So mm -hmm. because Donald Trump is not thinking about the legal aspects of this, apparently he's more interested in the political. I suspect he is going to try to use those types of, you know, things that no other defendant would do, like using one attorney to stretch this thing out. And, and I'm just waiting to hear that. The other thing I think we're waiting to hear, who mm -hmm. else has gotten a target letter like this? Who else are they <laughs> going after? <laughs> they are still questioning people on That's this right. case apparently. And so that's going to be fascinating. And did anybody else turn on Trump? Is anybody cooperating? Oh. I, we think that team thinks that Mark Meadows may be cooperating. So that's going to be fascinating as well. There's still so much to learn. And we'll, of course, be talking about all of it with our panel. A great dive with Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. It's a big deal for those who self-identify as deadheads. The final show of Dead and Company this week in San Francisco. As noted on the floor of the U.S. House by deadhead Wiley Nickel. Democratic Congressman from North Carolina. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I rise today to celebrate and pay tribute to the Grateful Dead. Last night, the Dead and Company closed out their final act in San Francisco. And while this marks the end of an era, it also gives us an opportunity to reflect on the immense impact they've had on generations of fans. Yeah. Jerry Garcia said it best mm -hmm. when he said, Maybe we're just one of the last adventures in America. Oh, man. And not just an adventure for Democrats and liberals. I've always been amazed at how popular the dead is among Republicans, despite the tie-dyes and the weed smoking, the LSD. Not only Jay Powell. Start asking around. Remember the whole Bill Weld fascination? I actually found a poll by Public Opinion Strategies and the Melman Group from 2015 found the dead has a 46% hard name ID among Republicans compared with 37% among Democrats. Republicans turns out just as likely to be Grateful Dead fans as Democrats are. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Rick, what is it about Republicans and the dead? Oh, I think it's the message. You know, they 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 are they're attracted to the truth. Just keep on trucking. Yeah. Wow. I like that, Jeannie. Who knew it? Were you aware of this? I was. Look at all of you driving that train. There you go, Joe Matthew. That's from Casey Jones. I did that for you. And let me say, 1997 Library of Congress recognizes trucking as yeah. a national treasure from American Beauty, 1970. Wow. I am full of trivia on the dead. I've been to it. a dead show. I'm not a deadhead, but I've been to a dead show. They were oh, amazing. I, I, first of all, I want that story. So the dead, do, the, <laughs> do the students in your class know who the dead are? I, I'm frightened to say. I'm yeah. not sure. I'll check and get back to you on that. I mean, <laughs> They're John only Mayer like was... 18 or something. I know, exactly. That's why I wonder. John Mayer is part of the, well, he was part of the band two nights ago. They, they know who he is at least, right? Maybe not Jerry Garcia. All right, Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano. We thank you as always. Our signature panel here on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Going to go find Kaylee Lyons. 
Because hour two of Sound On starts right now. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Everyone's going to be watching the polls now to see if there's another indictment bump. Assuming there is another indictment, that's what Donald Trump says. That he was given, quote, a very short four days to report to the grand jury for testimony says he expects to be charged because such a move, quote, almost always means an arrest and indictment. Such a move would be the target letter that he apparently received from special counsel Jack Smith. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, along with Kaylee Lines. There are questions, Kaylee, about whether there are other target letters, by the way, that he may not be the only one here. And we have Mm -hmm. no information on that yet. But we do have to acknowledge how little we know in this case. I guess, uh, according to the president, uh, he's been offered a chance to appear before the grand jury. That tends not to happen, but this does tend to be followed within days uh, by a federal charge or charges. Uh, So this is going to be really something interesting to watch unfold. Yeah, we have to hedge all of our conversation around this Mm -hmm. on the idea that this is what we're hearing from Trump himself, not necessarily from anyone else, Justice Department included. And remember when he first was going to be arrested for the first time in the New York case, but he said that arrest was going to happen days before it actually did. So quite a few days. It goes to show you he's not always the most reliable source (laughs) on these matters. So word of caution there. Nonetheless, though, this has captured all of the political oxygen here in Washington for the Trump camp. And then, of course, those who are competing against him, seeking the Republican nomination, other candidates who were hoping to grab some spotlight today, like Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. Now having to share that, perhaps. You said it. Uh, Let's take a snapshot of the baseline, because we're going to look back on this day, right? See where his polling data was, where his approval numbers stood when he made the announcement, and then where they might go in the days ahead, which might include another indictment dropping. New numbers uh, from interactive polls here. uh, As we prepare to talk to Chris Galdieri from St. Anselm College, this is from the University of New Hampshire Survey Center. Donald Trump at 37%. That's Mm -hmm. down five from April, followed by Ron DeSantis at 23%, up one from April. Everything else after that is single digits, although Tim Scott is looming large in this poll, not only at 8% to lead the rest of the pack, but he's got the highest approval numbers, the highest favorables, I should say, Mm -hmm. in this whole poll. So Trump 37, let's just remember that, put it at the back of your head on this 18th uh, of July. Of course, he's 
gosh, he's in the 50% range in some other. Yeah, much wider differential between him and DeSantis and other polls. Yeah, absolutely. The aforementioned Chris Galdieri is with us, political science professor at St. Anselm College in New Hampshire. Chris, it's great to have you back. I wonder if you're if you're hearing about this today, if this is the talk on the ground in New Hampshire in a state that Donald Trump will need to win. Yeah, and I think it's hard to talk about anything else. Um, you have a former president uh, announcing that he's likely to be indicted, um, and for the third time this year, um, you know, it's it's really tough to focus on anything else. And I think that's to the detriment of folks like you know Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, uh, Nikki Haley, whoever else it is, trying to make headway because you know they there there's no air in the room for anything but this. I think. Well, and especially after coming off the second quarter FEC filings and knowing the money that people are working with, isn't this Mm -hmm. just free attention for for Trump? He just, you know, earns his way into the media cycle. He's not going to have to spend as much in states like New Hampshire and other candidates are perhaps going to have to double down to even get any oxygen. Yeah, I think that's right. Plus, you know, everybody knows who he is. There's there's mm-hmm. none of the uh, getting to know you phase that somebody like Tim Scott or Doug Burgum needs. Uh, everybody knows who Donald Trump is. You know, he doesn't have to do, uh, you know, coffees with voters or go handshaking in diners uh, in the same way that lesser known candidates do. Um, that said, you know, this is, you know, his third indictment this year. Uh, this should be really bad news for his campaign. Um, but so far, you know, his opponents are still sort of, you know, at best making these sort of lukewarm criticisms like, gosh, gee, wouldn't it be nice to have a candidate who wasn't going to be on trial during the campaign? And and I'm not sure, um, you know, I, I don't I just that does not seem like enough to make headway against Trump in this primary. Wow. Who are you seeing the most of right now? Is it Chris Christie actually on the ground? Uh, Chris Christie has been up here a lot. Uh, Will Hurd, uh, the former congressman from mm-hmm. uh, Texas, has been in the state a fair amount. Um, and then, of course, last night we had um, Joe Manchin uh, yeah. appearing at a no labels event. But, you know, God knows what Joe Manchin is thinking at any given moment, if he's going to become a candidate for president, run for reelection, go fishing, you know, really, you know, any of the, the above could uh, could be what he winds up doing next year. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up, Chris. Let's hear mm-hmm. from Senator Joe Manchin last night. I've never been in any race I've ever spoiled. I've been in races to win. And if I get in a race, I'm going to win. So, with that being said, if I get into the race, I'm going to win. I, I haven't made a decision. Haven't made a decision. Yeah. You could hardly hear uh, what he was saying there, but important to add to the conversation. Yeah, you kind of have to strain the ears. But the question he was asked, Chris, that elicited that Mm -hmm. response was kind of an unfinished sentence. If you spoil the race, to which he said, no, no, I don't get into things to spoil. But isn't is that what no labels would do if this were to happen, if it were Manchin or another candidate? I I think that's probably the most likely outcome. Um, You know, in America, we tend to elect Democrats and Republicans. Every once in a while, an independent will squeak through for uh, governor of Connecticut or something like that, or uh, you know somebody like Bernie Sanders or Angus King in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for president, it is just the Electoral College makes it really, 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 really hard uh, to win as a third party candidate. You don't just have to get more votes than the other candidates the way you do if you're running for you know, governor of Maine or something. You have to get more votes than the other candidates in enough states to get you to 270 electoral votes. That is, you know, no one's ever done that. Um, every president since Abraham Lincoln has been a Democrat or a Republican. 
Uh, it's really tough to even think of somebody who's come close. And I think going into 2024, um, you know, if you put up a candidate like Manchin, who is, you know, kind of a moderate to conservative Democrat from a state that Donald Trump, you know, carries by 20 points when he runs for president, um, you know, I don't see that really coming out of Trump's vote. I think that would mainly come um, come away from voters who would otherwise be inclined to vote for Biden. Mm-hmm. And when you look at how close so many states were in 2020 and 2016, you know, it's it's pretty easy to imagine a world where, you know, the vote for a no labels candidate makes the difference in places like Pennsylvania and Georgia and uh, Wisconsin and those other swing states that we were all focused on four years ago. But Chris, no labels was deliberate in choosing New Hampshire for this mm-hmm. event, and your campus at Saint Anselm. There, there's something about the you know the spirit of independence <laughs> in New Hampshire, right? They're hoping that if this movement has a chance, it's going to start there. Yeah, um, and I think New Hampshire, you know, it's a weird state uh, politically. <laughs> it has a lot of undeclared voters. It has a lot of you know this this is sort of ground zero for never Trump Republicans who are. Uh, you know, a significant chunk of that party, but not enough to keep Trump or Trump like candidates from getting nominations, as we've seen over the last few years. Um, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting that our governor, our Republican governor, Chris Sununu, was in the audience last night. Um, you know, you could you know, again, he's somebody who had sort of poked around the idea of running in 2024 and then decided against it. But what if, you know, no labels comes back to him next spring and says, oh, gosh, Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Manchin's not interested. Uh, Would you like to be our candidate? And suddenly you have um, a a young conservative governor from a swing state uh, in the mix. He's a conservative Republican, but he doesn't present himself as a culture warrior. You know, his you know, you have Trump with his really aggressive uh, persona, Chris Sununu sort of tries to come across as that friendly dad, you know, from your kid's softball team or something like that. Um, you know, maybe that would, you know, uh, mix up the race, too. So, you know, I think, you know, there there are a lot of places this could go, but it's still tough to see how it uh, ends in a, you know, no labels party candidate taking office in 2025. Still haven't found anyone, <laughs> Kaylee, to say anything different about that. Yep. Hey, Chris, uh, great to talk to you. Thanks for coming to see us. We're going to meet up there in New Hampshire one of these days soon. Chris Galdieri at St. Anselm College. A day after the No Labels event that pales in comparison on the news scale with what we have from Donald Trump today. But, you know, you do wonder what motivates his timing. You know, he found out about this Sunday, right? Right. And it was a Tuesday morning true social post. On the same day Ron DeSantis sits for his big interview. Mm. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.